so those little uh, plastic cups. Um, I think like in a, the same cups as in a restaurant. You'd if you'd uh, you want to take uh, sauces home, or you're doing takeout, and and uh, it's a little clear plastic cup, or maybe it's maybe not exactly clear. Maybe that sort of slightly frosted side. In any case, a small cup, maybe an inch or two high, plastic, and then you would sort of dispense, uh, I, I don't know, mustard or ketchup or mayonnaise or what have you into this little container. Then it had a little lid, a plastic lid, also kind of clear plastic. You know, you know those kind of containers, right? Um, well, this was th- th- these contained little diamonds, right? And uh, so I instantly kind of knew what they were, uh, the Herkimer diamonds. So I really, this is one of those things could be in that category of, you know, was it real or was it a dream? Herkimer diamonds, something I have not heard about. It has not crossed any of my internet feeds or no one's talked about it. But when I was growing up, we, there was this huge thing, a place called Herkimer. (laughs) I didn't look it up yet. It was like, I think it was in upstate New York, and you'd go to like this town of Herkimer, and they had this like diamond mine. Well, they called them Herkimer diamonds, but they weren't actual diamond. They they were, but they were like little gems. So, where the heck is this place? Herkimer. Herkimer, New York. Uh, I remember going there with my family. And my grandmother, you know, my mother's mother, Evelyn, who took those movies I talked about last time. I still haven't gone through them yet. Um, and we would go and you, you would go out into this sort of like mine, this like this like a strip mine like field or this big area. And you would go and you would sort of, uh, I don't know, you'd have some sort of a sieve or something. You would you would try digging up the ground and then like filled like you have one of those sieves. So you, you, you shake it and you find these little these little gems, and then we put them in those little containers, little pla- they give those little plastic containers. So what I found was, this is when I was going through my parents' house, you know, my parents have passed away, so like in the past months I've been going to the house and I've been trying to go through every, everything, every drawer, every cabinet, just to find stuff that we should keep, and then we're going to have an estate sale and a dumpster and everything to get rid of all the rest of the stuff. So I found several of of those little plastic containers in different parts of the house of the Herkimer diamonds. So it was like <laughs> we went to Herkimer. I'm going to look this up. I have to, I I cannot <laughs> Is it was this real? Maybe this was like a Mandela thing. Maybe there is no more Herkimer. The hell. <laughs> He's gone. We drove for like 6 hours to go there and go digging in this field and then put them in this little plastic container and then stick them somewhere and don't don't even think about them anymore until like years later when 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 uh, I, I find them in the house and then what I'm going to stick it in a drawer. What do you do with Herkimer diamonds? They weren't just clear; they were different colors. I don't know if I can find them. I, I I mean I know I I don't know exactly where I put them, but they're in one of these boxes or something out here. Um, but it was like it was like we went there multiple times. I don't, I don't know if you're trying to find like if you find like a really big one, you get money or something. I don't know. But it was kind of sad to, to find them and just sort of like, I guess the whole point of it was just the activity itself. Like, oh, my God, we're going to get some diamonds. But they're kind of, they're worthless. But it's just the experience of going up and digging in the dirt and 
Oh my god, I found another one. I found a yellow one. I found a green one. That's what was important, I think. That that was it was the activity and the actual objects left over just sort of sit inert for decades until someone finds them and to be sitting inert more. Should I do something with Herkimer diamonds? <laughs> All right. It's going to like I I I think I must have talked about this on the show before, but you know, there's certain things you'd expect You'd hear about it. Someone would mention it. You'd see it online somewhere. Usually when you think of something, you get an ad for it even before you can search for it, you know, these days. All right, let's see. Herkimer Diamonds. I just want to see what this is all about. Herkimer Diamonds. (coughs) So this is real. It is real. Okay. (coughs) Herkimer Diamond Mines, KOA Resort, Tourist Attraction. (laughs) Wait a second. Herkimer Diamond is a gorgeous gemstone that is primarily transparent in appearance. It is one of the most powerful healing crystals used to manifest the wearer's dreams and make the work vision clearer. It is also believed to work as a catalyst in gaining the advantages of meditation and other spiritual practices. What? Wait a second. They have magic powers? They're like literally magic crystals. Let's see. Herkimer Diamonds are double-terminated... Quartz crystals discovered within exposed outcrops of dolomite. <coughs> Is that like the dolomites where I, where I was uh, recently, the, the mountains I drove across? In and around Herkimer County, New York, and the Mohawk River Valley in the U.S. They are not diamonds. The diamond in their name is due to both their clarity and nas- natural faceting. Mm-hmm. All right, so. And, and they're showing, I think I did have... Uh, like a piece of rock with a diamond, like embedded, a Herkimer diamond embedded in it. All right, Herkimer Diamond Mines KOA Resort. Let's see. This is this has got to be where I went. So where is this? I, I just, I'm looking at a map here. Okay, where in New York is it? <coughs> oh man, it's way the hell up there. It's past Cooperstown, near Utica. Okay, it's way the hell up there in New York. Yeah. By Rome, New York. <coughs> Oneida. Yeah, yeah. Herkimer. So Herkimer Diamond Resort. Let's see if they still do the thing where you can go mining. Like that's is like is could I go do that like now? Could I hop in my car and go to Herkimer and like Camp Spot? What? It's like a campground, but can you still do the mining? <sighs> Herkimer Diamond Mines. Experience the Herkimer Mine. Yeah, look, there's people doing it. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> New and improved. A devastating fire in October 2017 destroyed the historic barn that housed the registration center, gem store, activity center, and museum. In 2018, the mine began a new chapter in its history with the launch of the Miner's Village, offering it the chance to preserve some of the past and dream big for the or- dream big for the future. These improvements have already started to serve the next generation of miners for years to come. <clears throat> Let's see. So, so like, how do you? Yeah, all right, mine. Okay, here we go. How do you do it? (coughs) 
Mine for Herkimer Diamonds and the Above Ground Mines. Our above ground surface mines give you the unique opportunity to search for Herkimer Diamond quartz crystals hiding in the rocks. There are a few ways to find them, but most folks like to simply use a hammer to reveal the beautiful 500 million year old crystals hidden inside. Everything you find is yours to keep. Discover gemstones at the Sluice Mining Station. Sluice Mining offers another exciting mining experience. Purchase a special bag and head to the Sluice Station where you can screen away the debris to discover your very own treasures. This experience is perfect for miners of all ages. And you can design and assemble beautiful custom jewelry. The Artisan Center. C-E-N-T-R-E. Strange spelling. British spelling. After you have <coughs> collected your Herkimer diamonds and gemstones, create your own custom jewelry. At our Artisan Center, you can choose from a variety of jewelry-making accessories to create your masterpiece and show off your finds. Hmm. Interesting. <coughs> Herkimer Diamond. So let's, let, me, let me just see. Herkimer Diamond. Is there any reviews of it? Like... It's just really far away, right? It's kind of a long drive. Let's see. Oh, it gets four and a half stars. I'm trying to see if I can find the reviews. Ugh. Great time looking for the diamonds. Both my son and hubby broke open rocks for a good two hours. A couple of good finds. See, we had a great time. The food was great. The chicken tenders were fantastic. <laughs> they have good chicken tenders there as well. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, if, if all things considered, I'd like to do it again. It would be so weird to go back up there. But I need to look at the diamonds I have. They're like vintage Herkimer diamonds, you know, from like the 70s or 80s or something. You had to turn the heat on in the house. The first time, I think, this uh, season, it's like 59 degrees outside. Still raining. It is, it's, it's, it's been raining for like four days straight. Uh, the tropical storm Ophelia, I believe. So, yeah, it feels good to turn the heat on. Let me stand in the, the blast of the, the heat coming out of the vent in the kitchen. Ah, yes. Very nice. So, uh, David McCallum has died at age 90. Now, I know David McCallum's not really a household name, but uh, he was, I suppose, most famous for starring in the Man from Uncle TV series, which was kind of a, in this, what they call the spy fi genre. You know, essentially, there's this huge craze of uh, spy um, stuff. Certainly, I think, uh, all inspired by the James Bond movies. Man from Uncle had, uh, what's his name, Robert Vaughn, maybe, as Napoleon Solo, sort of a James Bond kind of guy. And David McCallum played uh, Ilya Kuryagin, like his sidekick. I don't know that I saw Man from Uncle very much because they didn't really rerun it much uh, when I was growing up. Uh, so I really never saw Man from Uncle. I know they, did they do... Did they do a TV, um, reboot or something? I don't know. 
Uncle, of course, was UNCLE, you know, sort of a uh, an acronym, United Nations something for something for something, League of Fighting Evil or something. Um, uh, I know David McCallum is in a bunch of other stuff, but interestingly, if you look at uh, last episode show art, you can see that I'm wearing a T-shirt featuring David McCallum. <laughs> it's such a weird synchronicity. Yeah, because uh, I got into this TV show he was in called uh, Sapphire and Steel, a very surreal uh, sci-fi show uh, from around 19, late 70s, early 80s in Britain um, about these interdimensional agents uh, that would try to solve issues with time. And I got a great T-shirt of it with, of course, Joanna Lumley, who I believe is still alive, plays uh, Sapphire and David McCallum plays Steel. And in fact, last episode was at Frank Nora 3000. I was wearing that T-shirt in honor of the image, which was taken a week or two ago when I was in Italy. Um, It's so weird. Such an obscure actor. I was wearing his T-shirt on last episode show art, and now he's died. Very weird. Anyway, he was 90. So I really didn't know if he was alive or dead, but now we know that he's dead. He was in a bunch of other stuff, too. So anyway. I thought that was kind of a weird, weird uh, synchronicity type thing. Yeah, yeah. I gotta make some noodles here. The water's almost boiling. They say a watch pot never boils, but it does eventually. You just have to. Eventually, it'll just keep. It'll just boil. Boiling water. Is this something people in the future do? They boil water to make noodles? I would imagine so. It's a basic human activity, making noodles, no? Well, they were invented at a certain point. Imagine there was a point in history without any noodles or pasta or anything. Must have sucked. What, 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 would, you, what would you eat, like, instead of pasta? Just like... I don't know. What would be the equivalent of noodles in the past? Like strips of beef or something? I, I, I don't know. See, it's starting to boil, yeah. Noodles! In other news, I, I've been watching uh, Strange New Worlds, one of the Star Trek TV series. The modern-day Star Trek TV series, which... Um, I, be, I watched some of them. Like, I watched a couple seasons of Star Trek Discovery, which I thought was just awful. Like, just truly terrible uh, Star Trek. And then Picard, right, the Picard series... Similarly, it's terrible. Listen, I mean, this really is like a point where you know how much Star Trek they made in the past, and it was all pretty good, right? They seem to have lost the ability to make Star Trek. So I was, uh, I think I watched the first episode of Strange New Worlds, which is, instead of, you know, I don't know why they don't, don't go forward in time, you know, because like, uh, right, Star Trek, The Next Generation, and then Star Trek Voyager, right, and Deep Space Nine, that's sort of further in the future. Of course, Enterprise, the TV series, was in the past, before the original series, but um, why not go forward and then keep going from that point? No, everything has to be prequels, everything has to be in the past, even Discovery was in the past, everything's prequels now. I don't know about this prequel mania. Is it that hard just to move forward? Anyway, Strange New Worlds actually is 
marginally better than the other stuff. Stars, uh, what's that guy's name? Something. Captain Pike, right? So this is the Starship Enterprise that we know and love from the original series in the years preceding uh, when the original series started. In fact, I think in the pilot, actually, Captain Pike was there. So Anson Mount is the guy's name. Anson Mount plays Captain Pike, and Kirk is not there yet. But Spock and Uhura are there. Uh, Scotty's not there, and uh, Sulu's not there, and McCoy's not there. But a few of but Uhura and uh, Spock are there, and Captain Pike. And uh, there's a, so there's like kind of a different crew, and it's like I've been watching it, and it's like. Again, it's slightly better than the other shows, but it's still very lacking as, as, as a Star Trek show. But it's a little bit better, so I've just been watching it. Um, but it's depressing that they, they've sort of lost the ability to make Star Trek. But yeah, because uh, we didn't have Paramount Plus, and then it's not something that I care enough about to bother pirating, you know. <laughs> The start, but uh, we signed up for it again because my wife wanted to watch something on Paramount Plus. So I'm like, ah, oh, I may as well watch Strange New Worlds. And there's like se- like at least two seasons of it that I didn't see. So I guess I'll keep watching it. I don't know. It's not like uh, Star Wars or Doctor Who where I feel like I have to watch every every single episode of live action. Uh, you know, Doctor Who and Star Trek and Star Wars. Star Trek, I like Star Trek a lot, but it's not like I have to watch everything. Thankfully. I'm just sort of bracing myself for this. I've been seeing some trailers for, like the new Doctor Who, it's been like years in the works. Like they, like they're, the last episode was like years ago, and now they keep promoting it. When is the next episode going to come out? It's been years already. They're doing their 60th anniversary episode. And it's going to have Neil Patrick Harris in it. Really? I think at the point when Neil Patrick Harris starts entering your show, then you know your show's in trouble. Okay. <coughs> well, Doctor Who's been in trouble for quite a while anyway. So so they brought back uh, what, David Tennant, and then they're going to have Shudy Gatwa as the next Doctor. Oh, God, this television will torture. It's torture. What the hell? Why can't they make good TV shows anymore? What about these noodles? They're, 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 they're getting there. They're getting there. 21 seconds to go of, of noodle, noodle time. Talking about the Dolomites, uh, at one point when we were uh, crossing over on the Great Dolomite Road there in Italy, we stopped at this uh, gift shop and uh, bought some cuckoo clock magnets. We thought we had two, but I think... Uh, you know, my wife bought a bunch of uh, souvenirs uh, for her people at work, so I think the second cuckoo clock magnet got kind of caught up in that. Anyway, so just out of curiosity, I searched for a cuckoo clock magnet and found a, a very cool one, a psychedelic a cuckoo clock magnet, a rubber, molded rubber. I think it's molded. Anyway, it's really cool looking. It's, I found it on Etsy. And it's, uh, let's see who made it. Uh, yeah. A company called Astral Weekend. And, uh, yeah, it's like a really nice psychedelic uh, cuckoo clock magnet. It has, um, you know, it looks like those 60s graphics. It has a gnome 
mushrooms, a squirrel, a little baby deer, a dove of peace, and all sorts of sort of yellow background with reds and blues and purples and greens. It's uh, <coughs> very beautiful. Is it necessary? No. But I think it would it was a good idea to replace the missing cuckoo clock magnet with a psychedelic cuckoo clock magnet that actually looks pretty pretty big. <laughs> this is, is going to dominate the fridge, okay? The psychedelic cuckoo clock, but I like it. I like it a lot. That should be coming uh, in a few days. Here's a review. Such a groovy magnet. Perfect size. Nice quality and great design. I love it. See? <coughs> you can review. Oh, there's someone that has it on their... Uh, on their fridge. Wow. It is a big one, but it's necessary. It's a necessary psychedelic cuckoo clock magnet, indeed. In other news, uh, Video Game Connections is going to be reopening this weekend. This is a store that has been closed for more than uh, 20 years. In fact, I do believe it shut down originally in 2002. So it's actually never, I've never been able to visit there on the Overnightscape because the Overnightscape started in 2003. But this is a store. Uh, this guy, Mike Etler, had this video game store down in Howell, New Jersey uh, for many years, which became the epicenter of the early video game collecting field. Um, it really was like uh, all the top video game collectors in the 1990s would go to the store. We had these, these meetings every month. And uh, one of the one of the factions went on to found the National Video Game Museum in Frisco, Texas, which I did visit a few years ago. Uh, John Hardy, I think, is one of the guys in charge of that. Also, all the guys from uh, Digital Press who opened their own store in Clifton, not too far from here, were there. Uh, but just really at a time before the collecting field had really uh been you know at some point you know there's price guides and you can look up prices and you know all these things are known and now with these stories of shrink wrapped copies of like Mario Brothers going for like a million dollars this was way back um i first found video game connections uh, i was just randomly driving down route 9 and there was this little flea market i always loved those little flea markets on the weekend this was kind of a indoor outdoor kind of place I think it was indoor, like these warehouse-type spaces. And I just went there, just browsing around, and I met this guy, Mike. Mike Etler, who um, had, a, had a table or two and was selling old uh, video games. He had some Intellivision, some Nintendo. And so, so uh, you know, I got to know him. And eventually he opened a store in that same um, shopping center. There was a, a small indoor area. It was like a, a mini mall kind of. And he opened a store there in the 90s. I actually worked for him for a while. Um, then he moved across the street uh, to a shopping plaza across the highway, across Route 9 there in Howell, New Jersey. And, uh, yeah, I, I continued going down. I, I may have continued working for him a little bit, and but I would always go down. I actually created a uh, a newsletter, like like a little print publication called Classic Tronica. I also recorded a bunch of audio pieces called Classic Tronica, which you can find in the archive, recorded there. We also recorded uh, an episode of Bublin A. Richards in there. So there was a lot of stuff, but it was like, you know, the pre-Overnightscape era. Uh, and uh, 
Yeah, and I also have a movie I made that I have not released yet. That's like my one of the next things up on my tape land project is uh, the Video Game Connections movie from 2002, towards the end of it. I know he was the store was uh, burglarized several times. I remember at one point his security was good, but the store next door, it was like a pet store or, or something, they had horrible security. So people broke into the store next door, climbed into the ceiling, and like rappelled down into the video game store and stole like a ton of video games that way. That was very disheartening for Mike, I know. Um, but it was the culture, all the people that uh, I knew from the store there was so amazing. And they tried to continue it in Clifton, and they did to some degree, that, that digital press store. But I think I was already, you know, I'm not really, I gave up on collecting video games. I'm too much of a, I'm, I'm too disorganized. I can't have all this junk I like playing the games on emulators, and I still kept a few of my... I have my Dreamcast and Game Boy Color, a few of the old things. I have a PS2 and a PS3 maybe, but I got rid of everything else. It's too much clutter in my life. I'm still very interested in it, though. But um, So earlier this year, found out that uh, Mike was thinking of reopening the store. And, uh, in fact, uh, he has uh, set the opening date. Is this Saturday? It's in the same shopping area, same shopping plaza as I first met him and his first you know, major store was. Uh, it's in that same building. It's wild. And it's, the number is 2209. Can you believe it? 2209, uh, I guess, Route 9 in Howell. Uh, 209. <laughs> Amazing. So I have to go down, but uh, we also have uh, my mother-in-law's birthday party that day, so I'm going to have to go down a little bit later, but I am going to go for the opening day. I'm going to miss Leonard Herman's uh, signing his latest edition of Phoenix, The History of Video Games, but oh well, at least I'll show up. I'm very excited about it, though, because it's a, it's a part of my past. It's very good to see that it's coming back. And, you know, what he always did, he, he would buy and sell used games and I think that's still pretty relevant in the uh, you know the classic game scene and a lot of people especially younger people are really getting into video game history and really trying to see what it was like to um, play these games on the original for- formats I mean you know if you can get because I know I got rid of all my old TV sets the cathode ray tubes but uh, to play like an Atari, a ColecoVision, an Intellivision on an actual old TV. I mean, you can you can play them on a new TV too. You may need some kind of converters or something. But um, and I did recently take from my parents' house uh, not just Herkimer Diamonds, but two old black and white TVs that I would love to hook up some uh, video games to. Of course, the very old Atari VCS uh, video computer system, later known as the twenty six hundred, the very first model did have uh, a switch for black and white or color because people did still have a lot of black and white TVs back then. And the games were sort of, at least the early games were attuned uh, to being played on a black and white uh, TV. (coughs) Yeah, I may need to get one of those. No, I can't keep buying junk. (laughs) I should do something with my, my, my black and white TVs I have now, you know. They're out in the garage. Just watch TV on them. One of them has uh, coaxial. The other one doesn't. It just has those those two the two screws for the antenna. And that's how you in the old video games you had to 
sort of bypassed the antenna with these two, two screws. And you had this little box you had to switch from TV to game. <coughs> it was a whole thing back then. But I don't know. Anyway, come video game connections is coming back. And I will, will, I'll, I will, uh, I will I'll bring you there in the next episode and the next episode after that. Special report at Video Game Connections Reopening. <coughs> In other news, you may recall that I was excited about these miniature vending machines being released. It turns out it was not exactly what I thought it was. Um, this is a company called New Wave Toys. They make miniature arcade games. And... Um, I was really hoping it would be one of those uh, classic snack vending machines where they just just like what I had in the show art a number of episodes ago, uh, a vending machine with all the different snacks on those corkscrew dispensers. It uh, turns out that's not what they made. They basically made a cigarette vending machine. Remember, they used to have those cigarette vending machines where there were those like plastic handles you would pull out. I never really used them because I never smoked cigarettes, but... Um, and then they also have a version that's an art omat. There's people who have retrofitted those cigarette vending machines to dispense little works of art. I've seen those around as well. Um, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the snack vending machine, which they don't have, but it looks like they're also going to be making a uh, Coke vending machines, like a new Coke vending machine. And, uh, again, those are really nice. That's not something I want. I want the snack vending machine or a Japanese beverage vending machine. See, I like the ones that have all the different products inside. You can see them behind the glass. I have very specific uh, vending machine needs in my toy vending machine uh, situation. So anyway, that was a bit of a, a bit of a bust, but 70 bucks for a miniature cigarette vending machine, too. Listen, a lot of people want something like that. I just, that's not for me, though. I'm just saying. Here's a story that's been coming up in my news feeds uh, about uh, how Project Gutenberg releases 5,000 free audiobooks using neural text-to-speech technology. So, you know, Project Gutenberg uh, has lots of public domain books, and it looks like they have uh, worked with uh, Microsoft and MIT researchers to create a system to, uh, you know, take the books and have them read. And I started listening to one that was kind of interesting. Let me see if I can find it. About a hotel or something. I, I don't think I saved a link to it. Is there like a hotel? The Grand Babylon Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. By Bennett Arnold, who lived from 1867 to 1931. Let's see what this is all about. Yeah, it's, 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 so it's like a computer voice, but I guess it's better than the usual computer voice. See if I can get this going. The Grand Babylon Hotel by Arnold Bennett. Chapter one The Millionaire and the Waiter. See, even right there, you can it sounds good, but chapter one, the millionaire. So normally if it was a someone an actual human be like chapter one, the millionaire you know what I'm saying? And not like that that little pause gives you the uncanny valley. Yes, sir. Jules. The celebrated head waiter of the Grand hold on, Babylon. Hold on, hold on. It's thirteen hours long this file. The Grand Babylon Hotel by Arnold Bennett. Chapter 1, The Millionaire and the Waiter. Yes, sir. Jules, the celebrated head waiter of the Grand Babylon, was bending formally towards the alert, 
middle-aged man who had just entered the smoking room and dropped into a basket chair in the corner by the conservatory. It was 7.45 on a particularly sultry June night, and dinner was about to be served at the Grand Babylon. Men of all... See, even the way they said it, should, it was 7.45, not 7.45. See, AI still has a little ways to go. But it's actually very cool. It's very cool that they did this, though. Because, right, it, 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 it's a lot of new audiobooks that are free. Sizes, ages, and nationalities. But everyone alike arrayed in faultless evening dress were dotted about the large, dim apartment. A faint odor of flop were dotted about the large, dim apartment. Large, dim apartment. See, you can tell it's not quite there yet. But it's better than, like, it, like you know, like, what, the SA, SAPI 5 or whatever the one I, I use sometimes. Ours came from the conservatory and the tinkle of a fountain. The waiters, commanded by jewels, moved softly across the thick oriental rugs, balancing their trays with the dexterity of jugglers, and receiving and executing orders with that air of profound importance of which only really first-class waiters have the secret. The atmosphere was an atmosphere of serenity and repose. I mean, I'm not trying to be like, obviously, this is a great advancement, obviously. It's not 100% yet, but it's a great advancement in... in and I'm sure voiceover artists are really pissed off about this because it's almost there that they can be replaced. And I'm sure they've already been replaced. Pose, characteristic of the Grand Babylon. It seemed impossible that anything could occur to mar the peaceful, aristocratic monotony of existence in that perfectly managed establishment. Yet on that night was to happen the mightiest upheaval that the Grand Babylon had ever known. Yeah, interesting. So let's see, if, like, is it all the same voice? How about the quest? What is this one? I don't really. I don't, I, I don't know if I'd really dig that voice. You know. Here's the quest by. Thank P you for listening Ooh. to this free audiobook Ooh. created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project. Wait, the other one didn't have this crap in the beginning. The quality of a recording. Please visit aka.ms/audiobook. The quest by Pio Broja, translated from the Spanish by Isaac Goldberg. Part one. It's just it's the same I'm, voice of that same fake person. Anyway, you can see it's pretty cool. The T the Teasdale Angler. What's this? The Teasdale Angler, by R. Lakeland. It's the same voice. I don't know. I don't really like that voice. Well, they had that woman's voice. How about the magic skin? Insane. That four thousand four thousand eight hundred forty uh, audiobooks in this collection. It's a lot of audiobooks. Ooh, the Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. 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 The Magic Skin by Honoré de Balzac. <laughs> the Magic Skin. Balzac. <laughs> the Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. The mole had been working very hard all the morning. Spring cleaning his little home. First with Spring clean for the May Queen? Then with dusters. Then on ladders and steps and chairs. With a brush and a pail of whitewash. I guess it's just that one voice. I, I don't know. I, I want different voices. How about the cult of incompetence? <laughs> yes. Sounds, sounds, uh, that, that was from the 1800s or something? But like, that sounds like our modern day corporations. Cults of incompetence. Yes. Do, do, do. Come on, different voice, different voice. Thank you for listening yes. to this free oh, audio no. book created the... by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. 
To learn more about Maybe that's a human, though, just doing the introduction. On the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms slash audiobook. The Cult of Incompetence by Emile Faget. Wait, wait, what? Who? Though it may not have been. <laughs> Whatever. Listen, I, I just, I just don't dig that voice. I don't know. I, I can you get in a different voice? Uh, I, I mean, no. I don't know. How about poetry? Is there any poetry in this collection? I like the idea of it. I just want a different voice. That, that guy's annoying. Annoys me for some reason. Uh, let's see, poetry. Loading. It's loading. Like, is that the only voice they have in the AI? I mean, is that... Really? <coughs> Let's see. Any interesting uh, poetry stuff? The World's Best Poetry, Volume 8. Okay, let's try this. Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by... I want that. I want her to read. I don't want the guy reading. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms slash audiobook. AKA the world's what? best poetry. Oh, here it is. I home. Friendship to love, three sorrow, and consolation for the higher life v nature, six fancy. Sentiment seven, descriptive. Narrative eight, national spirit, nine, tragedy. Humor x poetical quotations. What? The world's best poetry in ten volumes, illustrated. Editor-in-chief, Bliss Carmen. Associate editors John Let's Vance, fast Jean forward. Charles I don't think we need to hear Robert, this. Let's go. The rest. James Montgomery. Father and mother tongue. Our fatherland. And wouldst thou know why we should call it fatherland? It is that Adam here below was made of earth by nature's hand. And he our father, made of earth. Fast forward. This is an eight-hour recording. God. John God. Greenleaf Whittier. A holy nation. Let liberty run onward with holy the years. Man. And circle with the seasons. Let her break the tyrant's harshness, the oppressor's spears. Let's try again. The treasured wrongs of fifty years are in their hearts today. The treaty broken ere the ink wherewith twas writ could dry. Thank you. Thank you. Well, anyway, it's a very cool project. I just wish they had a different voice, but I don't know. That guy's voice just kind of. It's not a real person. I mean, I, maybe there was originally a real person that was behind it. Is there any. Uh, I'm on the actual website here. Is there any. Any different uh, voices you could use? Uh, um, hmm. Let's see. No, no, no. A new neural text-to-speech technology. Yeah. Ad from Azure. Yeah. Uh, they must have different voices. Anyway. <coughs> so you know, on our trip to Europe, I brought this uh, this backpack, a travel backpack. As, uh, you know, we had a lot of luggage because it's a two-week trip, plus we had to go to a wedding. So I figured a backpack would, um, you know, allow us to carry more, right? So I eventually, I did a lot of research, and I eventually got the Air Travel Pack 3, which is right here. So I basically, you know, took this everywhere, on the planes, to all the hotels and everything, and... Uh, it's uh you know so it's it's the size is good for carry on um it's it's fairly large but there's there's this concept of uh one bag travel 
where you could go on a trip and just have this backpack. And I, I was never into backpacks in the past. It was only uh, fairly recently since the pandemic that I had to sort of bring my computer back and forth to work that I got a backpack. Yes, Vegas. Mr. Vegas, the cat here. Um, so, but anyway, this was, I thought was quite successful and I really do love it. I have it in the X-Pack material. So I decided to get all of the, uh, not all of but the accessories. That is, uh, additional purchases from AIR, again, A-E-R, that can uh, enhance it. So there's this uh, waist strap. So the idea is that if it's, if it's really overburdened, you can put this strap, attach it to the, uh, suit, the backpack and put it around your waist to make it easier to carry. I, haven't, I didn't have to use it, but I figured it would be good to have it anyway. Then there, so I mean, like all these accessories, like th this really increases the price of everything. But, and then I got the uh, the rain, the rain cover, which uh, I don't know how necessary that was. It's it's not a hundred percent waterproof. It looks fairly waterproof, but it's not. So, I got the rain cover. I don't. Know, is this excessive? I just wanted to make sure I had all the accessories, and then I bought the packing cubes that are made specifically by Air for this for this bag. So. A bunch, of, a bunch of people had uh, talked about how they use one large and one small, uh, which includes the compression here. So I have it all already. I may be going on a trip soon up to Boston to meet, uh, uh, to do it, have uh, uh, an overnight skip adventure with Manny and Rule. So I, maybe I'll use this there. But anyway, I just want to let you know, I've just been very happy with this one. They have many different sizes and stuff. Um, I really like the design of this. This really suits me. They said it was sort of like a minimalist technot, you know, the tech techno minimalist kind of. They, they're like think the Matrix or, or Mr. Robot, but it's it's uh, the perfect. And I love the X Pack material because I also have the uh, in the X Pack. I have the uh, the, the sling bag uh, three here from Air, and it it has uh, orange on the inside. It's black on the outside and orange on the inside. You know how I love orange luggage. Kitty, no, don't go in there. i got to put the backpack back in there. But anyway, I'm a big fan of air. And it was a nice companion for the trip. Kitty, no. No, Kitty, I was going to put the bag in there. No, Kitty, come on. Kitty. Where are you going? You want to go up? Then go to the top of the closet, Kitty. Hold on one second. Kitty, come on in. Come on up. You want to go up here? Yeah. Going to the very top. Oh, look, there's there's a little flashlight. <laughs> the Derringer flashlight from uh, TechAss.com. Remember this? Remember this flashlight? Wow. Very rare fla flashlight. The Derringer. That's cool. I remember I bought this after many years, thinking that it was unavailable. I mean, compared to today's LED flashlights, um, this is puny, but it's a cool little f flashlight. I didn't realize I had it over here. <laughs> Vegas, you're just laying down up on a box on top of the closet? Purring?
Yeah. And by the way, this sling bag is so great. It's like, you know, I, I, I use this uh, quite a bit. And I, I had it on the trip as well. It's just a great, you know, man purse or whatever you want to say. It's uh, It has a great look. I love it. You can put things in it and carry them around. That's what bags are for. See what I mean? Kitty, what are you doing? I have some interesting things in here, like the old PB Max mug. <laughs> That's a good mug. I always use I never use it as a mug though. I just use it always used it to put things in. That long lost PB Max. What was what was the story of PB Max? It was a a candy bar with uh, peanut butter, but I think it was from Eminem Mars, but I think that the family that owned the company were anti-peanut butter. Remember this story? Remember the story of PB Max? No. You know, it's like M&M's, right? I think they're, I think they're actually based in Hackettstown, New Jersey. Um, M&M Mars, right? That company. And I think they were owned by this British family. And I don't know if one of them died and the children took over, but they were all very anti-peanut butter. I don't know if they had allergies or what was going on with them. So they like, uh, dis- I think that's why they discontinued PB Max. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure, but at least I have the mug. Vegas? Kitty? You want to come down? He's on a box of hard drives. Kitty, you going to come down? You want to lay up there? Well, at least I can put the backpack back in here. Yes, Kitty? Come on. Anyway, um... So over the weekend, we were going to have this, uh, we're going to participate in the townwide garage sale. But since there was that massive storm, it was raining all weekend long. And it's even Tuesday, and it's still raining. It was raining Saturday, Sunday, Monday, today's Tuesday. So instead of uh, the garage sale, I actually worked on the book, On Sug Radio, broadcasting from inside this book. Yes, I... uh, I have been uh, working on this, the next print edition, and I know it sort of sounds like, I mean, yes, it is already done in a way, but the formatting is all off. So I, uh, <coughs> I've i been working on right the next edition, which I finally chose a program called Affinity Publisher. This is a, not open source, but it's much cheaper than uh, getting a, what would be probably the best in class a layout page layout program, which is Adobe InDesign. But they moved that to a monthly subscription model, which is not cool. Believe me, I tried everything else I could find. This uh, open source page layout program called Scribus, which is no, not for me. Um, and I tried LibreOffice, Google Documents, everything I could find. I really needed a bit more advanced feature. So I got Affinity Publisher, which was like, I think I for like, you buy, you buy it once and then you get the next couple versions. It's only like 50 bucks or something. Or I think for 100, I got all three programs because there's also like a Photoshop and an Illustrator. I haven't used those yet too much. But anyway, um, I had the whole thing typeset as one long document, but then there is the matter of sections, right? And the matter of... Uh, adding uh, illustrations and 
I decided what I wanted to do on this one, instead of in the previous book, which you can still buy, it's called The Onsub, I listed all the shows, and then I had separate sections showing all the show art. And I kind of figured, you know, I wanted to make it a little bit less massive, and all the show art will be available in the extended edition, which is the PDF edition, right? Um, so I decided I really didn't want to have those image blocks of images anymore. I wanted to streamline a little bit, so I decided I just wanted to have four uh, show arts per page on the bottom. On those pages that have uh, listings, you know, uh, show listings, I'm just going to have uh, the images on the bottom. And I already, I already did it for the Eddie section here. Uh, and I think it looks pretty good. I, really, I, 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 like, I like how it looks. The only problem is, right, those four illustrations on the bottom, the four show arts on the bottom, it's just four squares in a row, um, they're attached to the page, not the text, right? So the idea is that if it's one big document, and then you start at like so I you know I start adding episodes of the Overnightscape as as it gets bigger and bigger it'll push everything else down, and it'll wreck the connection between the show art and the listing. So the idea is that the four pieces of show art are drawn from whatever's on that page, right? So uh, I I wanted to use a function where you could make a book, and each chapter is its own uh, uh, layout file. So each section is in its own little world and then they're combined into one big book and this took me forever to figure out like I, I had to reinstall the entire program because it was crashing I mean there was so much stuff going on it was crashing constantly there were all these problems finally I got it going and so there's about 30 chapters here so I, I got the whole thing built and uh, now I just have to well just have to put in all those images touch up the formatting and uh, also I have a thing called the uh, listening tokens which was an idea that kind of because I've been working on this book on and off for like a long time now and the idea of a listening token is a uh, it's essentially an emoji but Google has this amazing black and white emoji font Google Noto emoji um, so for various sets of shows I have these listening tokens and the idea is in theory that if you were to listen to those shows, then you get that token. You can put it on your own personal Onsug badge or something. Uh, <coughs> so it also it, it also kind of um, you know, it, there's a kind of monotony looking at listings of shows, but I think these listening tokens kind of Add one level of uh, nuance to the whole thing, so I have them on a lot of the a lot of the uh, listings. But now I have to do it on everything. Ooh, what's going on here? I'm, I'm in the uh, central one. Ooh, I got to uh, add pages here. What happened? Interesting. All right. <coughs> I don't know why it's not automatically flowing, but anyway. That's good, but it's since each one now is in its is a, each section is its own file. <coughs> Whatever happens in each section stays in the in that section, as opposed to pushing down everything, which is very maddening. It's I'm really sad that there's not a better open source alternative, uh, but <coughs> um, 
Affinity Publisher is like a, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, it's like a, it's a good compromise. Now, I also needed uh, all of the the art, the show art, from the entirety of all eleven thousand episodes, which uh, from twenty eleven I had that all all organized, but then the additional artwork and shows were in the monthly updates. So I also went in and merged all of the like two, almost exactly two years of monthly updates into the main listings in folder structure. And so each show has a show art folder in it. So I had to sort of partially automatically and partially manually like sort of rebuild it so I could have a, a good show art folder for putting the book together. This is all kind of boring stuff, but it's what you need to do if you're making a book, right? Because the show arts are the highest resolution available, so I wanted to link them and not embed them. You see what I'm saying? Because I don't want the main file to get unwieldy, unwieldily huge. So that's what I did over the weekend. But as I think you'll see when this book comes out. And you can look at the latest uh, PDF version to get an idea what this looks like, but I think it's going to be uh, quite good. I'm really, really feeling good about it. I always had intended to put it out summer 2023. We blew past summer. It's now, right, the other day it turned into fall or autumn. So I do want, I will be getting it out either October or November. I will be getting this book out. It's a print-on-demand book, you know. I heard that uh, the Amazon print-on-demand, which is not the only one, but they're starting to crack down on AI content. Which There is no AI content in here, so that's good, but they're cracking down on it. Because people are just uh, having AI write these stories, and then they're uh, and then they make the cover using AI, so they just publish like 8,000 books a week, and maybe some of them... I, I think I found one. There's one that I found. What, what, where was that? I think I found on one of my news feeds that came up like this... Um, it sounded like an AI book about puppets in, in the walls. Uh, let me see if I can find that. See if this is an AI book. Uh, I found puppets living in my apartment walls by Ben Farthing. <laughs> is it AI or is it real? Also the author of I found a circus tent in the woods behind my house. Any other any other, any other books? Uh, there he is. Is that a real person, though, or is that AI? Maybe it's a real person. I don't know. I found puppets living in my apartment walls. That's, uh... Let's see. Can, can we... Ooh, audible sample. Oh, we can hear a sample. Is this... <laughs> let's see what this is... The first night I slept in my missing grandpa's apartment, a puppet came out of the wall and stood over my bed. I woke to a sound like cardboard ripping. Grandpa's old box fan buzzed white noise, drowning out the city traffic outside. I lay perfectly still in bed, judging whether the ripping noise had been a... All right, well, anyway. 
I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a real person. <laughs> these days, who knows these days? Is it real or is it AIX? Memorex? I don't know. Anyway, you see what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's where today's show art came from. We can take a look at this. Yes. World Gateway. Yes. Because I sort of went through all the show art, you know, copying it into different subdirectories, I found this uh, this listing for uh, uh, a piece I did uh, back in 2009, uh, so 14 years ago, called uh, World Gateway Area Loop. And uh, can we find that? Where's the actual audio for that? Hold on one second. Yeah. So I. Yeah, it's made up of music from um, Kevin McLeod, right? And and his uh, Incompetech website. And if I can find it here, uh, he had a lot of world music. So I my idea was that it was going to be a fictional, like section of a theme park, and this is the music you would hear that was playing in a loop in that area. And I was inspired by you know my obsession with the Walt. Disney World, Walt Disney World, and the Disney theme parks—they have these what they call area loops, which is um, music playing in different lands. Stuff that you, you normally wouldn't even notice it, but it sort of adds to the atmosphere of the uh, the theme park. So, I actually asked permission from Kevin for this. Not, I don't know if I needed it, but I just said I just want to use this stuff because I, I kind of know him. I guess. I, I mean, I've talked to him on emails, but. So this is like an hour long, and it's meant to be part of this fictional theme park. And World Gateway would be sort of like um, a section that's kind of inspired by um, the world music trend. So it would be like sort of like the rainforest and different like ruins. And so it would be World Gateway would be the section of this theme park. And it would be like sort of a 1990s thing, probably 1993. And this is, the, and this would just be sort of playing in a loop in that fictional theme park. It's very atmospheric. It's sort of a high concept, you know. Fictional theme park music soundtracks for different areas. So that was, uh, I released that on uh, November 25th, 2009. Wow, almost exactly uh, 14 years ago, a little less. So anyway, the logo I made for World Gateway, which I sort of uh, threw together fairly quickly, as I recall, I I really love it, and I just wanted to look at it more. So that's why I uh, included it in our, uh, as today's show art. Um... I think that's Serif Gothic, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Serif Gothic. Yeah, that font that has sort of become synonymous with 80s stuff. It's by Herb Luballin. So I have it on kind of a reddish background and the World Gateway logo, again, typeset in... I'm pretty sure it's Serif Gothic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's Serif Gothic. Come on. So it's black with a white outline and then there's a brown outline 
And then there's sort of a gray circle, and then there's these sort of green spikes. But the, it all sort of just is such a great logo. Uh, yeah, that's why I included it here. It's just, yeah, and then I put I typeset the Overnight Escape and the Ansog Radio logo there in white. Uh, looks really cool. But of course, I guess you could also look at it in terms of, right, World Gateway as a, as a theme park section, but also the World Gateway is something I talk about a lot. As the idea that uh, the world we're on right now could be one of many, and a world gateway that would open up would open us up to this society of, uh, you know, inter this interdimensional society. That would also be the world gateway. And I've thought about it so much. What would it be like if they finally revealed that, uh, right, our world is one of many and then we could start learning about these other worlds? And uh, I've had many sort of thought experiments and theories about it, right? The idea that uh, like one of the stories was like, uh, they were really planning on opening the gateway up in 1970, and that was all of the weirdness in the 60s was just sort of leading up to that point. But in this timeline, they changed the plan and decided not to open up the world gateway, <coughs> which would literally be like a, it would be like a huge gateway or an, uh, opening somewhere in the world that would take you to other worlds. And, uh, the idea in this kind of the story I was coming up with was, uh, you know, it would have been kind of like that psychedelic cuckoo clock. It would have been designed with all of those sort of 60s psychedelic hippie graphics and stuff and uh, to sort of ease the people into it, like to especially the young people so they could get used to this idea that we're no longer alone in the universe and that. The you know people saying how you know uh, you do hear people say this uh, you know if there's you know billions and billions of of star systems out there what are the chances that we're the only life there must be something out there. But I think that in this case this revelation would be far more than people are bargaining for. They're thinking there's a few little gray aliens in their little flying saucers. Meanwhile, we're talking in this theory about potentially thousands or tens of thousands of other worlds that could be uh, gotten to and learned about much more than people are, are bargaining for and that also would include the reason why we don't know now about this stuff is because there's some sort of information blackout associated with this world we're living in that part of its purpose is to uh, provide us a lifestyle unburdened by the knowledge of other worlds. Anyway, I just like the way that looks. I love that logo. Threw it together 14 years ago. World Gateway. Hmm. Yeah, I just paused there and I, I just had a thought. I was th thinking, what would an anagram of World Gateway be? And uh, so I did it and I just uh, limited it to two words. Dayglow Water. Yes, Dayglow Water is an anagram of World Gateway. There you go. Kind of relates a little bit, slightly, slightly, a little bit. Down on the porch here. 
the pipe. Yeah, kind of, uh, I decided I wanted to, to smoke less. So I ran out of cigars. I decided not to replenish it, but now I've been smoking my pipe. I have this leftover pipe tobacco from years ago. And tobacco's still good, even though it's been sitting in a closet for God only knows how long. So it is my birthday coming up, uh, what, next week or so? And I got an early birthday present. You may remember uh, last episode I had some uh, Lafroig Select. Uh, I kind of, uh, I had gotten out of the single malt scotches, and many years ago it was my favorite drink. I sort of drifted from, from single malt scotches over to uh, bourbons, then rice, then mescals. But on my trip, I tried a few uh, scotches, and that got me back into it. So the Laphroaig Select is good, but I wanted a different Laphroaig. Laphroaig is kind of like one of the more extreme scotches that has a smoky medicinal taste from the Isla region. I-S-L-A-Y. I think it's pronounced Isla, not Islay. Region of Scotland. So, as an early birthday present, I got a bottle of Lafroig 16. Yes, aged 16 years. So unlike wine, which continues to change in the bottle, a whiskey uh, only continues to change and mature if it's inside uh, like that wood cask. And once it's put in a bottle, it stops changing. So this is a 16-year-old. So this is a Lafroig whiskey that sat in a barrel for 16 years. And uh, it doesn't come cheap. It's it's not uh, an everyday drink. It's uh, the bottle is one fifty. So, but uh, you know, if I'm going to get something for my birthday, I want something like that, not a something that's going to, I you know, like an object that you just have to keep and clutter up your life. Somehow, but something you can drink and make you feel very happy. The thing about these uh, really, you know, good drinks is it's not about getting drunk. It's about the uh, aesthetic experience. It's a, to, for me, it's about the the taste and the experience and everything about it. And I know so many people just can't get into. Uh, Find find uh, liquor, you know. A lot of people, you know, like when I was in, I'm still into the mescals. Amazing, I love the mescals. I'll hear people say, "Oh, I got so dr- I got so sick on tequila when I was in the, in college. I can never drink that stuff again." Or when it comes to like scotches, "Oh, I got so drunk on on uh, scotch. I'm probably like a Johnny Walker Red or something when I was in college or high school. I can never drink that again." And I mean, the main way of drinking it is to drinking it straight without anything in it. I know sometimes they say, put a drop of water in, whatever. But I know a lot of people, they, they don't have a taste for it. But it's just, to me, it's so good. Let's have some now, shall we? To celebrate Lafroig 16. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Maybe even here. Let's have a little bit here. 
Just as a supplemental celebration for the 3,000th episode, yes. Is this episode 3,001 now? Frank Noor, 3,001, yes. Mm. Quite a complex... This uh, Lafroig 16 is quite complex. So many different flavors going on. Mmm. Smoky, medicinal, peaty. So much happening. Each sip is, what, a couple dollars worth? That's ridiculous. It's too much. But it's a very rare liquid. I don't know. I don't know if it's like I don't know if the pipe is really comp- complementing this expensive, cheap pipe versus. Well, it's it's not cheap pipe tobacco. It's it's actually I don't even remember where I got it. I don't know where to get pipe tobacco anymore. It's like every store that used to have it doesn't have it anymore. This is one of those trends, pipe smoking. I think that is going to come back eventually. It should come back because it's really quite an amazing aesthetic uh, experience, but. It's just out of fashion at the moment, I think, pipe smoking. Tobacco. I know people smoke weed in this pipe. That's that, that's in fashion, but pipe tobacco's out of fashion? I don't know. There's some sort of association with just only old people smoke a pipe, which if you're old, it's kind of, it's a good hobby, I suppose. I mean, pipe smoking is like a rabbit hole that you can do a, you can there's you can get very deep down the rabbit hole of pipe smoking. I never got that deep into it, but um uh, you know, you you could sort of I guess eventually like you could you could store and age your own uh, pipe back. I mean, I knew this guy this guy Jeff. And he was he was into pipe tobacco, I think. Yeah, and he he he, you know, you have to have a bunch of different pipes. You have to maintain them. You need to get the blend, store them properly, and age them. And it's a it's a lot of work. And even some of the the ways that you get the pipe tobacco in like slices, you got to rub it with your fingers. It's like a whole. There's so much going on. I always look for like the best uh, what they call an English blend, which has a you know a certain incredible taste but it's not the pipe tobacco that smells good it's not like cherry flavored or anything it has a lot of like latakia which is a type of pipe tobacco in it like this is what I have now is like an English blend I mean uh, yeah I used to have some really favorite places I used to get a John David tobacco at the Menlo Park Mall had pipe tobacco course the long long lost but my fondly remembered romance emporium r-o-w-e hyphen m-a-n-s-e romance emporium in clifton new jersey had a great tobacco section even uh what's that place um barclay rex when it still existed in new york had some good pipe tobacco And this pipe is actually, like, it, it really is weird. You can have the same tobacco and everything, but 
sometimes you smoke a pipe and it's it's just remarkable. This one is actually better than I've had in a while. With the same type, the same pipe tobacco, but it, it, there's so many factors that are involved. Yeah. So if I'm not smoking one thing, I'm smoking another. This is cheaper than cigars, though, I think. I want to smoke less, though. I don't want to smoke every day. You know what I'm saying. So what, so what did it say in the bottle here for uh, Lafroig? Let's see. Lafroig. By appointment to... His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, distiller and supplier of single malt Scotch whiskey, D. Johnston, Johnston and Company, Lafroig, Isle of Isla. Lafroig, Isla single malt Scotch whiskey. Remarkable things happen when our iconic whiskey is distilled and then poured into first fill ex bourbon barrels to age for 16 years. These barrels yield a bright gold color more intense vanilla flavor and subtle spice notes throughout during the maturation process, the perfect complement to Lafroig's signature smoky flavor. You can go to Lafroig.com, L-A-P-H-R-O-A-I-G, Lafroig. In fact, I got this uh, the little brochure thing here. Just say I can get a square foot of land I, c- I can get my own square foot of land in, in, in Scotland. Hmm. Let's see. From a storm-lashed island off the west coast of Scotland comes a whiskey that's as rich with character as the people themselves. Its distinctive peat smoke-infused flavor has been dividing opinion since 1815. Lafroig is your portal to Isla. Uncork a bottle, and the aroma of soft, spicy peat smoke will take you on a journey straight to the heart of the island's community. Lafroig, a Gaelic word meaning beautiful hollow by the broad bay, marries malted barley with smoke from our native hand-cut peat to produce one of the most richly flavored of all Scotch whiskeys. So what is this? I I can... uh, Redeem a square foot of land. <laughs> yeah. Should I do it? I don't know. Lafroig.com slash plot. Okay. Hmm. I, I want to get, like, free land in, in Scotland. Does that mean I can automatically be a citizen? Or No, I don't think so. Plot. I mean, for 150 bucks for a bottle, I, I hope I hope I get some land or something. Yeah, come on! <laughs> oh, I got to put my date of birth in there. Hmm. All right, let's see what they say here. <laughs> Create an account. Uh, this this whole thing. Oh God! <sighs> it's, it's, it's this whole thing of like creating accounts and this and that. Ay ay ay. 
can I just do it without doing all this stuff? No, I guess not. Phone number? What the hell is this? All right, I'll do this later. I don't feel like putting all this information in. Anyway, I can get a piece of land. What am I going to do with a square foot of land? Can I grow my own, like, uh, barley to make my own whiskey? I should. Let's have some more of this stuff here. Anyway, yeah, this pipe is it's, it's so weird. Usually the, the pipe with this tobacco isn't good, but this one's really good. A good pipe, a good whiskey. Mm. So, <coughs> um, yeah, there's an idea that's been sort of bubbling under in my mind, bubbling over. I, yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like there's some ideas that are from alternate realities that is the overarching concept that each of us is sort of existing as a number of different versions of ourselves in different timelines, right? That is, I am Frank Edward Nora in this timeline, right? Doing my thing, recording my show, etc., but there's other versions of me in other timelines that I'm sort of also I'm I'm also them. I'm I'm right, I'm myself in this timeline, but I'm also the other versions of me in some way. Like as a higher being, I'm able to run different versions of my character or my my person, my my Frank Edward Nora. You know what I'm trying to say. This is a theory, right? And uh the idea is that at this level of my mind as Frank here, I'm not going to be profoundly aware of what's going on with the other versions of me, but I think as I've experienced uh, sensations, visions, etc., over the years that I do feel that it is uh, a possibility that there is some uh, that the other versions can uh, exert an influence on individual, like so. With my version here, I can feel and sense aspects of the other versions of me, right? In little ways here and there. So I feel like this idea that I'm talking about it is maybe something that is uh, has been fully realized in one of these other timelines but really not at all manifest in this timeline. And maybe it's not meant to manifest in this timeline, but still a very interesting idea. And it's an idea that I've uh, I've stated before, but there's just something about this idea that I can't get away from. It's like, it's so maddening that I, it just is always sort of insistently there right on the edge of my consciousness. But... To, to be specific about it, this is uh, maizenweed. Maizenweed, of course, is a word I created in, uh, several years ago, originally as part of a thought experiment, right? When I was really trying to figure out what to do with my Overnightscape Underground project, I figured if I just created, as a thought experiment, a fictional version of it and just gave it a different name, I just came up with maizenweed, M-A-Z-E-N-W-E-E-D, 
<clears throat> sort of like a maze in the weeds, you know, maze in weed. And uh, since then, the word has sort of taken on a sort of a life of its own. And I have had uh, innumerable different <laughs> ideas and concepts and frivols and all sorts of things related to this uh, word. But a while back, I did a show called Why Hello, Maze and Weed. I think it was last year, maybe. But anyway, it's an idea that... Uh, I, I uh, well, let me see when that was. I, I, I want to, I, I laid out the idea then, but I have sort of a distilled version of it now, sort of a songs version. Yeah, this was uh, Overnight Escape 1921, Why Hello, Maze and Weed, uh, June 16th, 2022, so over a year ago. And the idea was that it would be a kind of recording format where you're recording by inviting Maze and Weed in. You're like, hey, hello, Maze and Weed. Why, hello, Maze and Weed. Come on in. The idea is that you would be, wherever you were, you would welcome in Maze and Weed and you would sort of take Maze and Weed on a tour or through an experience, right? And it was based on a previous idea I had called You Are the Rampler, right? Where it would be like, oh, hello, Rampler. The idea being that you would be creating this uh, word or this character that would represent sort of collectively all the people in the future that would be listening. And the idea is, and this also relates to like Night Station. Uh, I did a, a, a test episode called Southbound way back in 2012 or 2013 or something. Again, welcoming, I was welcoming people in and taking them on a tour. I know this is all, this is all very sketchy stuff, but I'm just trying to describe this to you, right? That Maze and Weed then is this character that's going on a series of adventures, and each audio piece would welcome Maze and Weed in. And then you listening to these Maze and Weed recordings, you sort of become Maze and Weed, right? Maze and Weed is sort of a catch-all term for those listeners that want to explore different areas and places. So, you know, if I was doing it while I was in Italy, I'd be like, hell, why, hello, Maze and Weed, we're here in Venice, Italy, and, you know, oh, look at this canal, and things like that, right? So it would be more as a way of uh, creating a sort of a, um, creating a, a, a layer of context over the content, Right. And I feel like it's an interesting idea, but perhaps really just too similar to what we're already doing. I think that when I did my shows, when I was in Italy, for example, doing pretty much the same thing, but without having this this uh, level of artifice of using an, a word like that. I'm just, hey, welcome to the show. The, here we are in Venice, you know, and I did that, you know, and I don't, so I don't know that that we're already doing it. So I didn't know that that level of, like, you know, artifice or that additional context was really needed, right? So another another vector of this idea, which I did mention recently somewhere, um, is that uh, like audio pieces that are connected through a particular just one sort of aspect. So 
the original maize and wheat idea before all this other stuff was any audio recording where the word maize and weed was said would be part of a set of maize and weed recordings, right? But that, I think, is a little too vague. Anyway, this latest idea of maize and weed songs, songs in quotes, um, takes the idea of greeting maize and weed and taking maize and weed on an adventure and distilling it down to a song length each maize and weed song would be around this length of a song, which we're talking a minute and a half to five minutes maybe, uh, three and a half, four minutes, in that range of, a, of songs, pop songs, right? All of which would involve greeting maize and weed at some point in the recording. But in rather than um, the one aspect, which was... Uh, real-world locations, which would still be possible. The idea of Maize and Weed songs is that taking Maize and Weed on an adventure, right, in this much shortened format would um, involve a fictionalized audio production and etc. So you could sort of come up with any kind of crazy idea of where to take Maize and Weed or just, hey, Maize and Weed, hey, check this out. I'm working on a new song. Listen to what I'm doing, and, right? there's pretty much so much that could be done within that format it would be the maize and weed song format but song it wouldn't necessarily involve music though it could the idea is it's song length and that um, each one is sort of taking maize and weed on an adventure so if you listen to a series of those recordings you you sort of become maize and weed going on a sequence of adventures right and the idea is that as song length that it could be something that um, once it gets started, right, that um, anyone who has like a radio show could be pl- could play them along with songs, right? Amazing Weed could be a new kind of song, a new t- kind of audio uh, content, right? So I'm thinking that it's possible that in some alternate universe that, that that's my project, like that Amazing Weed project, but it certainly is not my project in this reality, and uh, I don't know that it's anything that uh, I think. I think as well. When was I talking about this? That oh yeah, I think on central when I was talking about uh, is central outmoded? Yeah, I think that's where I was talking about all this stuff. The question is, you know, should this be something proprietary that is only one group of people are in sort of the maize and weed society <laughs> or whatever, or is it something that you sort of make open and anyone can do a maize and weed recording? That's, you know. I think it's a rather moot question as it doesn't seem to be something that's going to be fitting into this reality, but I just sort of like the idea of it. It seems, I think the reason it's such an insistent idea is that it's something that, as I said, I'm just theorizing I might be involved with it in another timeline. But you can imagine, like, all the different ways you could go with it. A short recording, taking maize and weed on some sort of adventure, but with a f- now with the potential to fictionalize it. And so the sky's kind of the limit for that kind of stuff. Anyway, I just wanted to state the idea. This is pretty much a frivol at this point. Not something I'm going to be pursuing, but I wanted to, uh, as it is very s- a slight 
refinement of an idea I've already stated last year. You see what I'm saying? Let me finish my uh, drink here. Mmm. And in other news, talking about stuff returning, like video game connections after over 20 years, Into Your Head, the Into Your Head podcast is returning after how many years? I think, what was the last episode? 2016, maybe? Um, Yeah, Neil from Ireland and Into Your Head. Uh, He was someone who was uh, always a part of our Overnightscape Underground uh, world here and had his show Into Your Head. Back in the day, um, I asked Neil if he wanted to include his show on the Overnight Escape Underground, but he didn't want to, and that's fine. That's his own choice. He did his own uh, short-lived series just for the Overnight Escape Underground called Over Your Head many years ago. I forget what year. Maybe 2010-ish. I'd have to look it up. But anyway, um, he uh, Neil... So his show basically is a kind of a um, stream of consciousness, weird humor, and it's, it's a great show. Um, he eventually uh, shut the show down and, in fact, um, kind of lost most of the episodes that he had locally. So I embarked on a project a few years ago to try and recover and restore as many episodes as possible with Neil's blessing. And I had some episodes downloaded, and Jan Eric in Norway had some episodes downloaded. He had some episodes on the Internet Archive. Uh, so I, I worked as hard as I could to restore um, a few hundred of his episodes out of seven or 800, um, many of which are now lost, apparently. But I restored a great number of them. This was a big project, and I was so happy to do it and include that archive in the Overnightscape Underground. Now... Uh, just within the past week, uh, Neil has been uh, mentioning on Facebook that he's bringing, it, bringing the show back. And uh, on his website, IntoYourHead.com, he thanked uh, myself and Jan Eric for our efforts in preservation. And, uh, yeah, so sometime in October, it's coming back. I haven't talked to him about it yet. If, he's, if he wants to include the new episodes on the Overnightscape Underground Archive, I hope he does. I hope he'll uh, acquiesce or allow the archiving of his shows. If he doesn't, that's fine. It's up to him. It's his own. Sh- it's his own show. It's his own choice. But it's great to know that he's coming back. So look at these things that used to be around are coming back. You know, video game connections into your head. All sorts of things. Who else will come back? Will Will some people, long lost people from the overnight escape, come back? Like uh, Wayne, <laughs> Brian, Jude. No, these people aren't coming back. The one I have hope for is Carrie Michelle. Carrie, are you out there? I think Carrie Michelle could come back, though she dropped out a long time ago. It's really fascinating in our, our little audio universe here of the Overnightscape Underground or Onsug Radio. The people that have come and gone. Jeff Sink, perhaps. Could he come back? Callie Dingo. All these people. Mark from England. Hootie. Come on. They're no longer, like, uh, interacting with us, but their recordings are still there. Scott Lowe, perhaps? Mumpler? Listen, all these people came and went. There's so many people in our archive here. Sometimes they come back. It's very good to come back. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so watch out for that, and hopefully we'll be carrying it here on the network. And uh, 
you know, because like fast forwarding a few hundred years, like if you have the Overnight Escape Underground uh, or the Onsog Radio book, whatever is in, you'll have. Whatever is out, you won't have. Or you'd have to find it in some other place. Is everybody in? What was that from uh, <coughs> Jim Morrison? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. Can I find that? What was that? Jim Morrison. <coughs> see if I can find that. All right. I found a video that might have this audio. Let's see. Is everybody in? Yeah, this is it. Is everybody in? Yes. Is everybody in? Yes, we are. The Jim. ceremony is about to begin. Yes, Jim. We're here. Let me tell you about heartache and the loss of God. Wandering, wandering in hopeless night. Is that the real Jim Morrison or is that like a fake Jim Morrison? I don't know. That doesn't quite sound like him. (laughs) Is that someone doing a fake voice? No. Here's an ad. No, that's just blatant. Let me try to find a better reference to that. Is everybody in? I had it on a, a tape, a bootleg tape or something. That didn't sound right, though. What is this, William S. Burroughs doing? Is everybody in? Under the street, the roaming dog in heat. Under the street. Under the street, the roaming dogs in heat. No. Rabbit foaming a beast. No, no. No, William S. Burroughs. Stop, stop. Why is it so hard to find? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. Ooh, a game where you're a little ball. You're jumping. Jumping, jumping ball. Jumping ball. Let me tell you about heartache and the loss of God. Wandering, wandering. Is this real or is this a recreation or what the hell? This may be from the Doors movie. This is Val Kilmer. I don't want Val Kilmer or William S. Burroughs. I want the original Jim Morrison. I can't find it. All right. We're going to bail out at this point. Okay, thank you. Aye, aye, aye. Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. What ceremony? What are you talking about, Jim? Talking about Jimmy. A ceremony? Like music is like a ceremony? I suppose it is. This is the end. My only friend, the end. I used to play that song uh, right after 9-11. When we had to go to work after 9-11, like a a week or two after 9-11, we were working just a a couple miles away from Ground Zero there. I'm like, here's a good song. By the doors. This is the end. It was very gallows humor, as they call it, you know, because we didn't know at any moment we could have been blown up. We didn't know back then in 2001 what the hell was going on. You know what I'm saying? So I played songs like that to relieve the tension. This is the end. Yes. Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, in this timeline. 
uh, here on the Overnightscape. And we're on Onsug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Yes. And uh, just go to onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. That's short for Overnightscape Underground. Onsug.com. We'll get you all the latest shows and access to the archive. It's all free forever. We're a non-commercial project. We jettisoned the commerciality potential years ago, and uh, we're, we're non-commercial. I don't know that this project would work being commercial. I don't think it has much commercial potential. But it has a lot of non-commercial potential. You see what I'm saying? We have an archive of over 14,000 hours of material, over 11,000 individual shows. And uh, it forms this audio continuum, an audio universe that you can explore at your leisure over the course of decades, or especially in the future when people become nigh... May I use the word nigh, N-I-G-H? You become nigh immortal. You'll have many centuries to fill up. And I think listening to the archive of the Overnightscape Underground uh, may help you while away the decades. (laughs) Yes, it will take decades to listen to all this stuff properly. Yeah, um, this is quite a project. And uh, it's the idea is that uh, all the audio is going to be embedded inside the book as a physical object and as a virtual object in the near future once I figure out the technology. Uh, Yeah, I want the audio to be in the book, you know, the storage and the speakers and the interface to be in the book itself. Certainly it's possible using today's technology, though I don't have the budget to make it a reality yet. But this is uh, Onsug Radio. What's that sound? Birds? Some sort of maniacal bird laughter. Bird laughter? Hello, birds? No? Bird laughter? Yeah. Anyways, uh, just go to onsug.com right now, or in the future, grab a copy of the book in whatever way you can. And uh, you will be able, now that you know about uh, Onsug Radio, you can start exploring it. And uh, my goal is to get it all set up to launch off into the future once all of the current crew here at Onsug Radio shuffles off this mortal coil, as they say. That's a nice way of saying dying. But who knows? They may invent immortality before then. Well, there already is kind of immortality, but the rules of this type of existence preclude the knowledge of it. Because not knowing what happens after you die adds a certain quality to this realm that we're in. Which is what makes recording in this reality so interesting. That and so many other things that we don't know about the other worlds. We don't know what happens after we die. We don't know a whole hell of a lot of stuff. We know very few things. But at least we can record our thoughts and ideas and perceptions of this world while we're in it. Maybe being in this world is as rare as a super expensive scotch. Well, listen. 150 is not super expensive. There's bottles of scotch that go for $100,000, okay? Remember that scene in, in Lost? That jerky rich guy and that other character, that other guy? Listen, I haven't seen it in a long time. He's like, every sip of this scotch is more money than you'll earn in an entire year or in your entire lifetime. Remember that, remember that douchebag in Lost? Remember that guy? 
No. Who was that guy? The guy, Naveen, Naveed or something. He was the guy typing in the numbers so the the hieroglyphs wouldn't explode the island of, like, the lost. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. What, what am I saying? Anyways, you know what I'm saying. Maybe existing in a world like this is very rare and expensive. Who's paying for it? I don't know. <laughs> we're, are we racking up our celestial credit cards living in this world? Perhaps. Perhaps. But listen, however we're doing it, we're doing it. And it's here in Onsug Radio. So just go to Onsug.com. You can uh, participate by checking out the latest edition of Overnight Escape Central. Find out the topic. What is the next topic, by the way? I saw the episode just came out. I don't know what the next topic is. Let me look. So I'm going to go to onsug.com. That's O-N-S-U-G.com, onsug.com, short for Overnight Escape Underground. Zoo is the next topic. Yes, zoo. It's all happening at the zoo. Wasn't that an early uh, song by uh, Simon and Garfunkel? Yes, thank you, PQ. I asked PQ to do it, an episode with X, a, a topic of X and Z, and he's done it. This one was the X Factor that just came out with Doc Slees, Chad Bowers, me, and uh, PQ. And Zoo, so we're going to get that Z. It's all happening at the zoo. Listen, do you have something to say about a zoo? We all do. Check it out. Listen to the episode. You'll get all the information you need to participate. Please do. We would love to hear from you on the Central. Yes, we're all in, Jim. We're in. The ceremony is about to begin. You know what ceremony that is. Out beyond that distant cactus. William S. Burroughs got nothing on this. Let's break on through to the other side. Welcome to man's most magnificent achievement in the conquest of space. The man-made planetoid Space Academy. Founded in the star year 3732. gathered young people from the farthest reaches of all the known worlds. They have been chosen for their unique abilities and are being trained to cope with the mysterious, the unknown, the unpredictable dangers lurking in the vast darkness of space.
love it. Maybe you love it. Your face stuck in the shit. Come on. No, wait a minute.
What's up? Okay, bozos, listen up. I put up with the drinking. I put up with the girls in the fraternity house. I even put up with the drugs, especially when you shared them with me. But tar and feathers, you've gone too far. So what are the clothes for? I've got a little surprise for you. You guys have the distinct pleasure of going downtown to kidnap the freak of my choice. Freak City! <laughs> we'll be lucky to get out of this in one piece. Okay, screw-ups, I want him.
Does your regular restaurant sound as appetizing as a monkey on a wet rose bush? If so, your buds are probably in need of some above par bar food fare. Forge no further, Uncle Mammy's blacktop and skillet shakers girdles the griddle in a never-ending quest for food as you lack it. Wilma, Fred, Betty, and Barney are the... Sally passed the beaded arches and experienced the happy-go-lurking atmosphere as the ambiance percusses near your forehead. And Sally points to your seat. Hand your mouth-watering waitress a napkin and she'll return the same with a menu that will bring tears to your fingertips and Mama was flat and lard. For your liquid pleasure, feel free to imbibe your nog or wipe off a goblet and sniff her brandy on special at only half quaff. But for your solid enjoyment, roll your eyes towards our entrees and the black-eyed peas and grits in an anticipation of plates of colored green. Another Selectron brings you pure cornbread chicken. These and other down Homer combos all served with a fresh white bread made with ultra-bleached flour sure to lighten your loaf. And pockets to boot. Other oils and vinegars separate. Uncle Mammy's Blacktop and Skillet Shakers, formerly Rando's Pavement and Spirit Counter. An equal offer tunic embroider. You like buttery pancakes.
Barbara Stanwyck, Linda Evans, and Lee Major star in The Big Valley, weekdays at 11 on TV9. Frazier Thomas here on this day in the new year to welcome you and act as your host for another Sunday presentation of Family Classics. Our film story today is the screen adaptation of Walter D. Edmonds' Saturday Evening Post story, Chad Hanna, an exciting tale of circus life in the 1800s and of a young man who falls in love with a beautiful bareback rider and decides to join the circus. Our stars are Henry Fonda, Dorothy Lamour, and Linda Darnell. So now, if you're quite ready, let us begin.
Attention. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? This is your police chief with an urgent police bulletin. There's a dangerous killer loose in our city. He has already brutally murdered five persons. You're looking at official homicide bureau photographs of some of this killer's victims. Very few clues to his identity are available. But police artists have prepared this composite sketch of his probable appearance. Remember, this man is heavily armed and is dangerous. If you have any information as to his identity or whereabouts, notify the nearest police department immediately. Combat Cops, a hard way to live, an easy way to die. Combat Cops, a bullet away from eternity. It's panic time, and everybody knows it. Especially the combat cops, because a mad killer's got the whole town by the throat, and he won't let go. The combat cops have to find him before he stakes out his next victim, because the next victim could be anybody. Maybe me. Maybe you. He wants a private plane and a pilot in two hours, or he'll kill her. Combat cops. They play rough, real rough, and for keeps. Combat Cops, rated PG.
TNA High, the student body's got a lot more bounce to the ounce. Yes, thank you, Matt. And the screwballs only have one thing on their minds. Whipped cream, big boy. <laughs> I think you've needed this kind of private lesson for a long time. What were you doing in the girls' restrooms? Uh, field trip? That's Purity Bush. Last holdout at TNA High. You know I always have a headache. It's the pussy factor. <laughs> if you're looking for something different, but can't quite put your finger on it, it's Screwballs. Ah! Nice shot. My love, my Junior? Yes, everyone's trying to hide the salami in screwballs. Where homework takes on a whole new meaning. Oh my god, a TNA orgy. <laughs> screwballs! The nuts who always score. It's not a dirty movie, really. Trust me. This picture is disgusting.
They're fast. They're fun-loving. They're fearless. They're nuts. By day, they're the finest hot-dogging, freestyle skiers in the world. By night, they really take chances. You busy for dinner? Now that's a girl I can take advantage of. This is the motion picture comedy that's proud to go downhill fast. The movie that defies the forces of gravity. Sanity. And good taste. Hot Dog, the movie. Experience all the ducking, flipping, turning, chugging, jumping, sliding, gliding, speeding action you can take. And that's just in the hot tub. Oh boy. Gasp at stunts. Only a team of world-class madmen would dare to attempt. The dreaded Chinese downhill. Challenge of all, Playboy's Playmate of the Year, Shannon Tweed. Thank you. It's Hot Dog, the movie.